Americas, live and underway here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Great to be with you for another edition of the show. Herc, how was your weekend, big man? Weekend was good. Two birthday parties yesterday, so I'm a little <sighs> worn out. Look at you, all Ted lassoed up. Adult birthday parties or kid birthday parties? Kid birthday parties, which ah. are which will wear you out even more. <laughs> Look at you. I guess that's what happens when you're in your 40s. Here in our 30s, we wouldn't know anything about that. What now, what are you talking hurt? about your 30s, bro? <laughs> your birthday Pl- was like literally three days ago. You turned 47. Okay. Look, uh, plenty to come on today's show. We're going to be joined by Juan Carlos Osorio, of course, the former manager of the Mexican national team. We're going to talk about Mexico's one nothing win over Peru. We're also going to look ahead to their game against Colombia on Tuesday. Speaking of the Mexican national team, guess who's scoring goals? Still, Chicharito, that's right. This time he did it in the Cali Clasico, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And Jeff Kasuf will join us as well as we talk NWSL playoff scenarios as well as shield scenarios. See who's going to get that number one seed heading into the playoffs. But let's start her with the news out of U.S. camp today in Spain. Greg Berhalter and company are getting ready to face Saudi Arabia on Tuesday. Again, the last game before the World Cup. The big news, Christian Pulisic and Ricardo Pepe will both start against Saudi Arabia. Pulisic, due to injury. Pepe, because he was an unused sub, didn't play against Japan. All of this was confirmed by Greg Berhalter in his press conference today. Here's more from the manager. Well, again, you know, I think it was a poor performance from us. And, um, you know, it's we got our butts kicked, and we're not proud of it. We think um, we should have played much better. We could have played much better, and we didn't. So, um, you know, we want to play better this game. I mean, I think it starts with the collective. Um, you know, us playing together, more cohesive. And if we do that, we'll be fine. You know, it's one thing that, you know, I don't want us to lose track of is that, you know, it is a young team. And at this moment, any time in the the last camp before the World Cup, there's stress involved and there's outside factors that affect performance. And I think we should at least acknowledge that and and say that, you know, the guys were tense in this game. And, you know, it's our, our job as coaches to put them at ease and help them perform. And that's what we're focused on. Ideally, in a perfect world, I have it in mind. But one thing I know is that, you know, that's not international soccer. So, you know, do I think we have, you know, the best players in each position identified? Yes. Do I think they're all going to be available for the start of the World Cup? I don't know. And that's just what every international manager will be dealing with right now. We'll be holding our breaths, hoping that that's the case. But even in this camp, we're missing five starters. So, you know, it just is what it is. And you got to roll with it. And you can't, you can't use it as an excuse. And what you need to do is give the players that are here confidence instead of worrying about the players that aren't here. It's really hard to answer like what I want to see from guys because I think you know there's there's roles and responsibilities that they have um, related to the team performance, and that's what we're focused on. Again, it's not I don't need him to score five goals tomorrow. Um, we need him to play like a forward in our in our system, and um, you know hopefully he gets opportunities and hopefully he takes the opportunities well. Um, but again, it's, it's stuff that he's done before for us and um, confident he can do it tomorrow. Okay, Herc, a lot to unpack there from Greg Berhalter's press conference. Let's start with the last quote that we heard, though. He's talking about Ricardo Pepe. Don't need him to score five goals. Need him to play like a forward in our system. What do you make of it? Damn you, system! Uh, 
It's a coach wanting to implement a system, even though he maybe doesn't have the personnel at this time. And he even alluded to it saying we have five starters who aren't here. Read into that what you will of who those five starters are. I'm sure you're going to come down with one surprise. It may be in the goalkeeping position. Uh, But this is him saying that Ricardo Pepe is good for a lot of things, not just scoring, and that what he needs from his nine isn't scoring. Though it's Ricardo Pepe's scoring that led him to have his job be saved in the opening window. It's Ricardo Pepe's scoring that made him the second highest goal scorer in World Cup qualifying behind Christian Pulisic. It's Ricardo Pepe's scoring that in six games, his very first six games as an international, gave him three goals and three assists. If it's not about scoring at the nine position, then what is it? It can't just be interpretation in space. It can't just be this movement. It can't just be associating the final third with other players trying to make them shine better. If at the end of the day, what you need is goals from the nine position or any position, who's usually the most important goal scorer on every team? It's the nine. Now, Ricardo Pepe, for as young as he is, he's proven to be a goal scorer. Get him hot again. You need to drill it into his head that he needs to score goals. Uh, Herc, how desperate is tomorrow's game against Saudi Arabia for a guy like Ricardo Pepe? Do you think it is his last chance? Because I'm thinking here, he's been given this opportunity, clearly hasn't been called in in a while. If he doesn't play well, if he doesn't score against Saudi Arabia, and a guy like Jordan Pifak continues to do what he's continued to do from jump, which is keep scoring goals, no reason to think he's going to stop scoring goals right now. Uh, Does Pepe miss the boat? Is this kind of an all-or-nothing game for Ricardo Pepe, in your opinion? It really is. He's been given this opportunity because of what he did for Greg Berhalter in the past, saving Greg Berhalter's job in the opening window. That's why you have this opportunity right now. But also because Greg Berhalter was influential in you going to Osberg. He told you it would be a good decision in your career. It was not. It puts you back. Now you're in a situation where you're back on the board. And not only are you back on the board, but psychologically, you're back a little. Because that, that peppy swag, we've not seen it. That peppy arrogance, we've not seen it. And now he has it. And Greg Berhalter will exhaust all opportunities for Ricardo Pepe to take that last train to Qatar. Uh, Herc, it applies to Pepe, but at one point it applied to you. So give me that player's perspective, because Greg Berhalter also talked about that in the press conference. Not giving the guys a pass, but maybe giving a little excuse as to why the performance against Japan wasn't great. There's pressure right now. Guys are playing for minutes. They're playing for World Cup roster spots. You've been there. Uh, What's that like, and how does it impact how you're playing? I was more Jordan Pifak, the guy trying to get on the radar for the national team coach, the guy who kept banging in goals, and for whatever reason, the coach wasn't calling him in. That is a frustrating position. But as far as the pressure, I mean, if you're nervous now, if your knees are jello today, what's it going to be like when you realize you are starting or playing in a World Cup in front of England, in front of Wales, when the whole world is watching? What's that going to be like? I understand Greg Berhalter to an extent in what he is saying, but stop coddling these players. They're no longer kids. They are professionals who some of them play on some of the best teams and some of the best leagues in the world. And you can't grab them by the hand. You can't lead them to water. You have to now say, we've come this far because of what we've done as a program. Here you go. You also need to perform. Quit making excuses for the players because the players won't make excuses for you when it's over. All right, so there we have it. Ricardo Pepe going to get his chance against Saudi Arabia in the starting lineup for the U.S. men's national team. A couple other guys got their chance for the U.S. against Japan. 
Josh Sargent getting the second half. Jesus Ferreira, the first up top. And uh, as you can see, not a lot of output from the striker position for the U.S. men's national team against Japan. All right, for more on the U.S. men's national team, let's go to somebody that's actually with the squad somewhere in the southeast of Spain. There she is. Alexis Nunes, who was with us in our post-game coverage after the U.S. Uh, against Japan. Great to have you back with us here on Football Americas, Alexis. Good to be back, guys. I'm happy to join the party, as always, from a very rainy Spain, believe it or not. Okay, all right, so let's see if the uh, weather plays an impact on the match tomorrow against uh, Saudi Arabia. First things first, Alexis, though, you were with this team in the aftermath of the game against Japan. You talked to Tyler Adams. You could sense there was a, a real sense of letdown in the group. I wonder how you would just describe the mood of the team as they come away from that game and now get ready for the match against Saudi Arabia. Do you know what, guys? Honestly, we got to go and hang out at the hotel um, that the team is staying at today. And really and truly, there are no heavy, depressing feelings from that match. I think everyone is just really ready to just put it behind them. I think they're a little taken aback by all the negative heaping on and the criticism that's come since that match because they've said, look, that's what these friendlies are for. And I think ever since um, Greg Berhalter mentioned the fact that he wanted a bit more personality from them, today he's kind of changes tune slightly and actually is kind of shouldering a bit more of the blame he said maybe you know they didn't have enough time to prepare they didn't have enough time to buy into the tactics that he was trying to do and he respects that they needed more time to do that he also um, admitted that they are without about five starters the likes of Yunus Musa who is just about two hours away in Valencia you know and a couple of others as well like Timothy Wea and whatnot and he kind of just took the blame on his shoulders for that one in an effort to get the boys ready get them excited again um, to go for this match against Saudi Arabia. But one thing that I have noticed about this team is just the complete harmony and the true brotherhood that they seem to have. And anyone that watches our show ESPN FC, they hear me wax lyrical about this Liverpool team under Jurgen Klopp. And I see flecks of this Liverpool team in terms of the harmony mm. that has led to their success over the last couple of years. I see some of that same camaraderie with this U.S. men's national team. You know, Weston McKinney told us in Germany that look, there's no need to panic because because these guys have been playing either against or with each other since they were 13, 14 years old. Yes, it's going to get take some time for them to all get back together and dust off some of the, the rust because they haven't been playing together as the national team in a couple of months. But he says, at the end of the day, we know each other so well that there's really no reason to panic. So I think that is the kind of mood that they're trying to go ahead. But we know that they're going to go out there against Saudi Arabia and look for the goals because that's what they said they know they have missed and at least a create those chances to hopefully silence some of the doubts that they've heard coming stateside. You know, uh, Sebi, Alexis has been living in the UK for quite some time now, covering mm -hmm. this U.S. men's national team from the UK. So I'm kind of interested in the parallels there are of the criticism, the negativity, if you will, around this U.S. men's national team compared to maybe what England is facing, uh, like after a 3-3 draw uh, versus Germany today. Those parallels, if you will, Alexis. Yeah, Herc, honestly, it's, it's parallels that I don't think we thought we would have to draw because anybody that follows England or comes to England and follows the national team will always know that 
closely behind them is a heap of pessimism and absolute heartbreak. They constantly remind you that it's been decades and decades and decades of heartbreak of following the English national team um, until this year when the women were the ones who actually brought it home in the Euros. But now the expectation is so high on this England men's team that every time they take the pitch because they are absolutely stacked, this is such a deep squad, littered with talent, littered with star-studded names as well. Every time they take the pitch, everyone expects a perfect performance. I remember going to one of the Nations League matches earlier this summer um, where they got absolutely walloped, surprisingly, in Wolverhampton by Hungary. And the fans behind me were saying, oh, we're never going to win the World Cup if we play like this. That is the expectation. They're not expecting to just go and make it to the semi-finals or maybe just another run to the final. They are expecting to win and anything less for England will be viewed as a failure. And you know what? Now, with this U.S. men's national team, I feel like the expectation is not that far behind. I was talking to Matt Turner today and we were comparing about how in the past with CONCACAF teams, you know, for me, for Jamaica, we would just be happy to be there at the World Cup. We're used to Mexico having deeper runs and maybe the U.S. just to be happy with getting out of the group. But all that has changed now. I think all of the supporters that are criticizing this team after that loss against Japan are actually expecting them to go out there and, and really make it to the final because of all of the this, this golden generation talk that all the guys absolutely hate when you bring that up, by the way. They say it doesn't really give them room for error. And I think that, you know, Matt Turner and I, we spoke about the expectations today and what success would look like for the U.S. men's national team. And he reminded everyone that they might have to temper expectations. You have to manage them. Yes, they are going to go with the idea of winning it, but they're not quite England yet. But you know what? I feel like they're not that far behind. All right, Alexis, you mentioned the interview with Matt Turner. Let's listen into uh, what he had to say when you guys spoke earlier. All right, Matt, thanks so much for chatting with us. Um, I know, of course, the first match was a difficult one. What have you guys done since? Is it one of those that you go through with a fine-tooth comb, or do you just kind of chalk it up to, look, it was a bad day, let's move on? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are really analyzing this performance um, just because it's getting so close to the time um, where we're going to be on the world's biggest stage. So I, don't, I think it is right to, to comb through it, comb through the fine details, figure out what went wrong. Um, which we have done over the past few days, but at the same time, you know, sticking together. I, I don't know how much you've been around the camp, but um, like we're all really close, so um, we're all able to hold each other accountable and like in a positive, good, healthy way, which I think is a, a huge strength of this team. So obviously, you know, looking forward to tomorrow and, and our match against Saudi Arabia. We spoke to Greg after the match, and he just said he just wanted more personality. We want a little more personality in the match. For some reason, I didn't see a, a lot of personality with our performance tonight. We need to play with personality. We need to play relaxed. We need to play with intensity. Uh, and when we do these things, we're a really good team. Um, but when we don't, we're an average team. How would you get back to playing with that personality that we know the U.S. has? I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair. Um, sort of assessment of, of everything. Um, sort of what we built our whole anchors on is, is about our personality, is about our, our diversity, is about the way that we take, take on challenges and, and can always rely on our anchors uh, through tough times. And I don't think we did that. I don't think we coached ourselves enough on the field uh, from a player's side. I think for us, um, Greg, in the right positions, give us the perfect tactics, whatever, whatever. But at the same time, we need to take ownership on the field. Um, if things are working great, if they're not working, it, it's kind of like on us to figure it out because think about 
a stadium in the World Cup, how is Greg really going to be able to relay messages to the field when there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of screaming fans uh, making a lot of noise? So I think we've all looked in the mirror at ourselves uh, and... Um, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure on this game, but it is, it is definitely one where it's the last time that we're together before the World Cup. So uh, it's definitely an important one and, and uh, one that we hope to at least, you know, show the fight that this team really does have and give the fans something to be excited for come Qatar. So much made about, you know, when you see the likes of Allison or Ederson playing and now this new kind of improved goalkeeper, everyone having to play out from the back or be better with their feet. Um, is that something that you immediately bought into or do you just kind of like the old school goalkeepers, let me do my job? Yeah, I, at first I kind of thought like, well, this this other way, this old school style really works for me. So I'm just going to like resist change a little bit and just focus on keeping it simple one thing at a time. But over time... I, I felt like the need to adapt if I want to be, wanted to be considered a, a great goalkeeper, not just one that, that could stop shots. And um, I think that my game has really adapted over the last, especially year, but uh, over the last two years, it's adapted a lot um, to become more of this sort of modern goalkeeper. It's with my own little spin on it, of course, given my background, I don't have that, that same technical ability that all, all goalkeepers have. So um, it's required a lot of hard work and dedication. And, um, you know, credit to my wife because I spent a lot of extra time at the training centers, you know, doing extra work, trying to figure things out. And, and she's fully behind me to try to, you know, support me so I can be the best best version of myself, best goalkeeper that, that I can possibly be and, and chasing this crazy dream all over the world. I'm going to have to put you on the spot because, of course, everyone's so excited about this current crop of U.S. players that we've been seeing. You know, they call them the golden generation. Some people like Tyler says he cannot stand hearing that. You know, others sort of embrace it and recognize that, yeah, I suppose, because we are seeing more playing in the big leagues in Europe, so to speak. Um, for you, what's, you know, who's kind of stood out for you that you go into that training ground and you say this, I'm glad that I get to play on the same team, on the same squad as this one? I, it's it's hard to it's hard to select one person, yeah. but like Tyler Brendan Ar Tyler Adams Brendan Aronson Weston like all these guys they they're so athletic they work so hard on the field um, they really give their all every time they they step out and, and that's like just feels good to be on a team with people that are like minded in that sense um, but at the same time we talk about golden generations and you think about my story and I definitely was not one of those people that that years ago that was considered oh top talent golden generation uh level talent but i still cracked my way through so for like kids out there that aren't highly scouted aren't getting all the attention that they think they might deserve um just keep going you know because no matter if they say that something's a golden generation or whatever uh you can still find your way in it if you keep working hard so i'd say yeah i, I can't I, I agree with tyler i can't really stand the whole golden generation thing we're, we're who we are we're a young team we're hungry and we're gonna go out there and express ourselves and have fun all right, guys, there's the words of Matt Turner. Great job, Alexis, with the interview. Herc, you heard what we heard from the United States goalie. What would you make of it? Anything stand out to you? A few things. 
off the top, it's him not putting so much emphasis in the past of being the modern goalkeeper, right? Just keeping mm. it simple. But now understands that he's got to adapt and go with the game, especially where he plays Arsenal, because you can see that it's, it's a football where you have to build out of the back. It's not something akin to what Greg Berhalter is asking him to do. So he's gotten better at that. And the focus of getting better at that, well, now it's to see if the rest of the team, if there's the personnel for that. But that was interesting for me. And also the fact that he emphasized that Greg Berhalter is not going to be there in an empty stadium to communicate with them, to kind of hold their hand and guide them through things. The self-awareness from that, it's surprising because you would assume at this point, with one more game to go to the World Cup, that wouldn't be an issue. Uh, but Greg Berhalter is still trying to hammer home that message. Uh, it's definitely something that stood out. Yeah, Matt Turner with a uh, monstrous, monstrous performance against Japan, really keeping the U.S. in it for the better part of those 90 minutes against Japan. Uh, speaking of golden generations, Alexis, we also found out today that Christian Pulisic, who missed the game against Japan, will indeed start against Saudi Arabia. What more can you tell us? And uh, have you seen Pulisic there around camp? How's he looking? Yes, Emi, that is the good news that's coming out of the U.S. camp today, that Christian Pulisic will not only just play a part in the game, but he will indeed start, and everyone was questioning if he had played in that match against Japan, if it would have made much of a difference, and you know, I'm sure it will be 50-50, because we do agree that it was a very disjointed performance, a rusty performance, lacking personality, but Christian Pulisic, is, he adds that stardust, doesn't he? Um, he's had a bit of a difficult week, of course, um, a lot of criticism coming his way after the release of his not autobiography, but we're told it's a coffee table book. Uh, instead, speaking about that Champions League run under Thomas Tuchel, he's also constantly being linked with moves uh, to Juventus as well. And because he didn't take part in that match against Japan, everybody was wondering if, you know, he was just kind of being shielded from the limelight because of all of the off-the-pitch stories going on. But look, he's back. He's Captain America, and he's something that they absolutely needed. Um, that's one of the things that we were looking at. The, the chances It's not just that they lost lost to uh, Japan, but it's how they lost as well. And I think Christian Pulisic definitely has to jump back in and, and allow for some more creativity and really just pull those strings to, to get some of those goals. Because speaking to some of the fans, that's what they wanted. That's what you want before a World Cup. You want to know that you can score some goals. We did see him train today. He looked as good as Christian Pulisic could possibly look. So hopefully he's able to hit the ground running tomorrow. and We can see a much more positive, not just result, but overall performance, considering it is the last time we're going to see them together playing before that flight to Qatar. All right, Alexis, uh, great stuff as always. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for staying up late with us here on Football Americas. Enjoy the game tomorrow, <laughs> United States against Saudi Arabia. There she is. Oh, Herc, we got some more uh, stats here. Sad stats, some might say, for the U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter and some of their recent performances. Of course, much discussion about the uh, Zero shots on goal for the U.S. against Japan. Aside from a shot on goal, Herc, what do you want to see <laughs> from the United States men's national team against Saudi Arabia on Tuesday? That would be nice, right, Seb? Uh, listen, we've heard many a pundit say this many a time. Taylor Twelman alludes to this all the time, his plan B, right? Right. Greg Berhalter wants a system. These players that you have maybe don't fit said system, but you're still trying to put in a square peg into a round Whole. What do you do when that doesn't work? That's what I want to see. Because as Greg Berhalter alluded to everybody in this very platform and in interview right there, what we saw, he's got five starters that are missing. So that's 
half your, it's a, your starting lineup right there. It's half your starting lineup. So if you don't have them, who will you be? If you can't have them, because you also alluded to health issues come the World Cup and how every manager is praying, who are you going to be? So I want to see a U.S. men's national team that, if you can't play out of the back, if you can't do wing progressions, if you can't have a nine who's only good at interpretation of space and movements and creating things for others, how can you be effective? How can you generate goal scoring opportunities and not give up so much at the back so your midfield isn't playing back to goal and chasing shadows? Shadows, excuse me. That's what I want to see. All right, so I wrote down a few things here. I wrote down emotional response, right? Because in a tournament, I figure you might have something that goes against you and you have to respond to it. I don't think we can say that we saw an emotional response after the first half against Japan. Clearly, Greg Berhalter wanted that. He made four changes. Did we really see an uptick in performance in that second half against Japan? Not really. So I think an emotional response where you see an improved performance here would be something fans could feel really good about. Another thing I wrote down, Herc, is finishing. It's obvious, but... There may not be a whole lot of chances for this U.S. team. It would be great to see somebody finishing. Could you imagine the conversations and how they would shift if Ricardo Pepe puts in a goal, a brace, a hat trick in this game? What that would mean, not just for Pepe, but for the confidence that fans would feel around this team. The only other thing that I'll throw out there, and I want to get your response on this quick, is something you said in the post-game show after Japan. You said, we may now have a blueprint for how to beat the United States. And there's one thing that I saw in that game against Japan. It was not just the back line, but a lot of the back line, a lot of the center backs being unable to deal with the press, Herc. So I don't know that we're going to see press from Saudi Arabia, but that would be the worry to me is if we see a press, how does this team handle it? Because they didn't handle it well against Japan. And to your point, other teams are watching. Yeah, because when you're the guy who's pressing, that's your speed. But when you are being pressed on how you deal with that, that is your speed of thought. And that is a big issue there. So how the not only defensive line, not only the center backs, because it's not always on them, but the midfield and how they respond to the movement of showing and being an option to said center back, or even if it's the center forward and how he can come into the midfield and be another option, that will be important. But that blueprint will be there, especially because this is a very young team. Listen, it's easy when things don't go right, when you get punched in the mouth, for the plan to go out the window. But if you've been there, if you have something to fall back on, that speaks volumes. A lot of these players may not have the World Cup to fall back on, to fall back on, but they have the experience of playing at a high international level. So they need to do something to find that plan B to get themselves out of what other teams are going to try to put them into, which is pressure. All right, there we have it, Herc. The last game before the World Cup, the final dress rehearsal, U.S. against Saudi Arabia on Tuesday. Herc, we got some big news at the Federation level. U.S. Soccer has named a new CEO. Uh, JT Batson will take over for Will Wilson, who announced he was stepping down earlier this year. Batson is a former member of the U.S. Soccer Finance Committee, so he has uh, quite a bit of familiarity with the organization. He's 40 years old, and his past includes being an executive in the media, advertising, and technology fields. He's going to begin his new role immediately and will also serve as Secretary General J.T. Batson, the new CEO of U.S. Soccer. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Mexico back in the green and back in the win column. Thanks to a late strike from Chucky Lozano on Saturday and a 1-0 victory over Peru. At the Rose Bowl, over 63,000 in attendance for Mexico's second win in their last six games. For more on the Mexican national team, let's call on the man who took them to the round of 16 at the 2018 World Cup in Russia, the newest member of our team here at Football Americas, Juan Carlos Osorio. Juan Carlos, welcome back to the show. Great to have you as always. Likewise. Great to be with you guys. Okay, so we saw this game over the weekend, Mexico beating Peru 1-0. Now, our production team must be feeling very positive <laughs> because they asked you to pick a positive takeaway from this game, but I have to say, as somebody who sometimes watches Mexico from a fan's perspective, I didn't see a whole lot of positive. I saw very much the same team we saw throughout World Cup qualifying, which is a team that when they had the ball wasn't dangerous, and when they didn't have the ball was very vulnerable. So that's the pessimist. Give me the optimist, Juan Carlos. Uh, what, what was the positive takeaway from Mexico's victory over Peru? Well, the question will be uh, if the, uh, to include Luis Chavez and Carlos Rodriguez as a, uh, inside midfielders is because the manager is thinking that uh, the structure in midfield could be 1-2 versus or as opposed to be 2-1. Two, be two, you know, Juan Carlos, uh, looking at this, just I guess if I had to pick a positive, uh, it would be that it's another defensive shutout. In the last 13 games, they shut out the opponent nine times, only six goals against in those 13 games. So that would be my silver lining if we had to look at something positive. But here's another positive. It's Chucky Lozano. Chucky Lozano scored a goal. It's something like over nine months since he scored his last goal. Uh, you've gotten the best out of Chucky Lozano. How can Tata Martino get the best out of Chucky Lozano? Well, I, I do think that um, Irving has to play as a, a as a winger on the left side. So when he comes out inside, he can keep uh, uh, go, or he can hit the ball like he has scored some goals. Now I think uh, for Irving himself. Uh, the main goal should be to get enough playing time. So when in the next four, five, six games, he gets a, a, a top form and then he can produce for the national team. Juan Carlos, uh, just uh, to real quick focus it back on the game against Peru. You mentioned that the positive was something that you saw um, out of the midfield. Why is that so important to this Mexican national team and, and how it's playing right now and maybe improving on how it's playing right now? Right, I, I do. I do think that if you play with two 
uh, number eight in midfield, then you you will only have if you play with three at front, then you will have one player left, and that will be a number a natural number ten that plays behind the the striker. And if that's the case, that number uh, nine and a half, uh, as they call it in in Spanish football, uh, he will have to he will have to be the player that runs uh, between center back and fullback. Uh, that interval uh, between the def uh, central defender and left uh, and fullbacks. Um, on the other, on the contrary. If the idea is to play one-two, then you have a one central midfielder that is positioned and he plays by using that position of play and the two inside midfielders like they tried in the last game will be the ones in charge to always, always do that running, trying to uh, uh, explode the space between center back and the and, and full back. So you will have one on the left side and one on the right side. And I thought that in this previous game against Peru, that's what he tries to that's what the manager tried to do. All right, Juan Carlos. So uh, one thing that was very much a feature of your time with the Mexican national team was the relationship with the Mexican press. It's no different for Tata Martino. I want you to listen into this exchange between Martino and a member of the Mexican press after the game between Mexico and Peru on Saturday at the Rose Bowl. Preguntarle respecto a lo que dijo del cambio de interiores de que ahora jugó con Luis Chávez y, mm -hmm. y Carlos Rodríguez. Rodríguez, se debe a que busca sobre todo contra Polonia y Arabia Saudita que son eh, partidos en los que a priori se va a tener más el balón, es por eso la elección de ellos dos y la otra pregunta es, algo que lo que ya habló un poco, eh, o sea que usted busca un 9 que sea más asociativo que más definidor Puta, tan... demoré cuatro años en que alguien me haga una pregunta de esta naturaleza así que te agradezco y todo lo que dijiste es tal cual algo que... nada, agregar nada <risa> pero te, te, te agradezco te iría a dar un abrazo, así que... <risa> Okay, gentlemen, so uh, Tata Martino there kind of having a laugh at the idea that he hasn't had just a footballing question, a proper footballing question in, uh, in four years in charge of Mexico. Juan Carlos, you've sat in that seat. Give us the perspective. What's it like being the manager of Mexico, and what's it like being a foreign manager of the Mexican national team? It is indeed a, a difficult task, and whoever is in charge has to take the, into consideration the power of the media. Um, I, I have listened to the, the press conference a few times, and I think uh, that um, eventually it takes its toll in whoever is in charge because the media is quite powerful. Now, I, I, I doubt that in four years, does, this has been the only, <laughs> the only football question. It's difficult to, to, to understand that that will happen in a, in a, in a, in a football country. I would think that he, uh, 
decided to give the viewer uh, that much of a appraisal because the pressure that he has been under. But um, I, I do think that there are some uh, media leaders in, in Mexican football that can probably have the same knowledge and the same uh, power to make that type of questions. Juan Carlos, uh, what about, uh, I'm sure you've heard about this, Tata Martino didn't go to the open uh, training session at the Rose Bowl with the Mexican national team the day before the game. He instead stayed behind and was watching the Honduras versus Argentina game. That's officially what he said. Now, I want to ask you if you're okay with it. Before that, let me tell you why I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because this is now Tata Martino saying, I'm over it. I'm done with it. It's a protest. Various reports saying it's a protest for the open session, one of the last sessions he has with his team, and they are charging fans to go watch the Mexican national team. So he's protesting not having that session. And also, by the way, everybody who brought Tata Martino to Mexico, to the Mexican national team, Cantu, Gerardo Torado, Dennis Teclose, they're all gone. All his allies are gone. This is his way of almost lashing out. And that's why I'm okay with it. I'm just curious if you're okay with it. I did say that if Mr. Martino's uh, point was to watch a live uh, the Argentinian game, then I can understand that because that would be the most important game for, for I, I think, for the national team, for the Mexican national team. Now, uh, if it was my choice, Unfortunately, I will decide otherwise. I would concentrate on my team, on the Mexican national team, because I think this is the last gathering. This is the last opportunity to create a, a team spirit, to get to know all the players and create an, atmos an atmosphere, an, a scenario where we are the most important team. No the opponents so i don't understand and i don't know what his point was so i would be unfair to to make a comment on that mm. but if it was I, my choice i would have concentrated on the mexican national team game okay i gotta ask myself if tata martino is just trying to avoid any more fuera tata <laughs> chance that's what he was hoping to avoid there by uh, skipping the training session at the Rose Bowl. Okay, Juan Carlos, real quick, we got this game coming up against Colombia. Obviously, it's a team that you know very well. What changes would you like to see made to this Mexican team so that they find some more success against Colombia Tuesday? I do think that the, uh, the game will be a, a good challenge for the Mexican national team to control possession in the middle of third. The Colombian national team is is well known for that type of player, where the type of game where they want to control and play in transition defense to attack. So it will be interesting to see where Mexico hold the defensive line, and if they are a. Uh, uh, 
imposing the Colombian national team of the ball and controlling the pace of the game through controlling the game by keeping possession of the ball. All right, there he is, Juan Carlos Osorio, former manager of the Mexican national team and our new manager here on Football Americas. JCO, great to have you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hopefully. Nice there to be is. with you guys. All the best. El Profe Osorio joining us, as he will many times before we head to guitar here on Football Americas. I wonder what he would think looking at these numbers. Not very good. Mexico's scoring woes well known over the past few games. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If only there was solution, Herc. Oh, wait a sec. Chicharito scored a brace over the weekend. That's right, as the Galaxy... Won the Cali Clasico 3-2 over San Jose. Big win for the Galaxy, Her. Huge win for the Galaxy. They always do this game in Stanford. They want to sell some tickets in San Jose. Uh, they made fun of the Galaxy and LAFC, calling both of them clowns. How about that clown dance? Chicharito with his 16th and 17th goals of the season now into the top five in the MLS scoring lead race. He's got... Uh, the Galaxy playing well, too. Just one loss in their last nine games, Her One loss in the last nine games, but Javier Hernandez, Chicharito, 10 goals, two assists in the last 10 games. This man is heating up. Speaking of heating up, so is uh, Marky Delgado had an assist in this game, playing quite well, good friend of the program. LA Galaxy right now, fifth in the Western Conference as Chicharito there gets his uh, 17th goal of the season. The Cali Classico, always special, Her. Always special. It is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the Earthquakes should try winning. Make it actual rivalry game. Here's Javier after the game. If you could take me back to, to your first goal and, and the celebration, was that in response uh, to, to, their, to their TIFO there? Yep. An amazing response. The best way to respond, you know? Sometimes people think that those kind of stuff is going to, like, pull our confidence ourselves down and they do completely the opposite they motivate us they motivate me at least you know so thank you thank you for them to put up to put that because that uh, brought uh, something else from me because uh, now i had uh, more desire to win and to get the three points herc here's a little di deeper dive into chicharito's summer of scoring uh, across major league soccer definitely a message to tata martino the question is will the message be heard Will it be listened to? So what do you think? With all that's going on with Mexican number nines and their health right now, is there a chance, any chance, that Javier Chicharito Hernandez can play his way, Herc, back into the Mexican national team? No. It's over. No why chance you, for Javier Hernandez. Why are you Hernandez. doing this to get my hopes up and then saying no? Well, because it's Tata Martino. And Tata Martino literally this week, six days ago, in the Mexican national team media day, here in mm -hmm. Carson, in Javier Hernandez's home, in his house, said, uh-uh, he ain't going. I got other forwards. And two of those forwards are on one leg right now. They are serious doubts for the World Cup, and he's still not going. Should he go? Should he be yes. at least in that conversation? Yes. 
absolutely should be in that conversation. And you can say what you want. Santi's scoring goals in Feyenoord, in Europa League. He's leading the Europa League with goals. And Henry's leading, uh, or he's one away from leading Liga Mekis. He's the league leader or team leader for Club America. Good and fine. But a player like Javier Hernandez, who's scoring goals right now, who, let me remind everybody out there, is the all-time leading goal scorer for the Mexican national team, should be in the conversation. Mm, mm. All right, Herc, who you who you taking out of the number nine list then? Because it's always one thing to say, oh, we should throw Chicharito in. But then the question is, who do you take out? You know me, not just because of the injury concerns, which may just rule him out, period, with Raul Jimenez. I don't think Raul Jimenez is going to bring you goals at the World Cup. There's no evidence to prove that. So I would put Chicharito right now ahead of Raul Jimenez. I'd also put him ahead of Funes Mori. It's the other two that, for me, have the best case against Chicharito. And those other two are actually probably the two we're least likely to see in Qatar. There could be nothing more frustrating than this position if you're a fan of the Mexican national team. Absolutely. Uh, let me tell you what I think will happen. I think he's going to leave off Henry Martin at the end. Ooh. What I think should happen, happen, excuse me, is he leaves off Rogelio Funes Mori. You wait to the last possible second to see if he's healthy. And even not, he's still at the World Cup with you, which is um, Jimenez, Raul Jimenez. But it should be Javier Hernandez. It should be Santi Jimenez and Henry Martin, the three forwards there with Raul Jimenez. Yeah, it's a very interesting race right now. What I'm super curious to find out about uh, is what specifically Tata is looking for. Because when you think about it, right, Tata Martino should know one thing that is very clear about his team. If he's been watching this team at all, not just in the recent games, you can go back to World Cup qualifying. They are not efficient. It's a team that even when they do create chances, is not efficient in taking them, and their bottom line not creating a whole lot of chances. So if you want to talk to me about the players in this Mexican national team pool, the strikers specifically, and who is the most efficient, not just over the terms of a career per se, but even right now, it's by far Javier Chicharito Hernandez, not Funes More, not Jimenez. Henry Martin is hot right now, but efficient, I don't know that I would put him in that category. And Santiago Jimenez, for all the excitement that we have about the success that he's had early on in Feyenoord, he's still not a starter there yet, right? He's still not consistent there yet. When I see Chicharito, what I see is the bottom line is this, the guy with the most goals of any Mexican number nine in the calendar year of 2022, the same thing. The same thing for the calendar year of 2021, and yet he's being ignored by the Mexican national team coach when it is the clear need of the team. Herc, what do you say to this? Please, please tell me there's a chance we'll see Chicharito in Qatar. It's what I'm begging for. Yeah, yeah, no, not going to happen. Mm. Um, mm. In mm. Dr. Martino's eyes, he's not even played himself Not out even of the, the experience, not even the World Cup goals, the experience, none of that. It should matter, right? I mean, let's go back. Scored it's, two goals in 2010, scored a goal in 2014, and a goal in 2018. And plus, yes. the greatest moment of 2018, the Chucky Lozano goal of 2018 versus Germany, went through the feet of Javier Hernandez. It's Javier Hernandez who's doing the facilitating. So those things that Tata Martino asks of his nine to facilitate, not necessarily score the goals, but facilitate in the World Cup in 2018, the greatest moment they had versus Germany came from Javier Hernandez. So... Listen, I am with you, but it ain't happening. Yep. And Tata Martino's made that abundantly clear. It's crazy, right? Tata Martino has refused to overturn any part of this roster, except for Javier Chicharito Hernandez, who he is, no matter what, going to move on 
beyond it would seem. All right, uh, it's not the LA Galaxy, it's not Chicharito, it is LAFC against the Portland Timbers on Sunday. 3 p.m. Eastern time, coverage starts on ABC and ESPN Deportes as MLS returns after the international break. News from Liga Mekis hurt. Atlas, the two-time reigning champions, are parting ways with manager Diego Coca. This uh, just a few days after Atlas was eliminated from playoff contention. They are currently 17th in the table, uh, just two wins from 16 so far this season. Still, Herc, Coca did take Atlas to its first title since 1951 and then brought him a repeat. Uh, what do you think? Are they faltándole uh, respeto aquí un poco a Diego Coca? Are they... Are they disrespecting Diego Coca for all he did for Atlas to fire him here before the season is even out. Yeah, when you look at it on paper, a guy who takes you from a 70-year drought to back-to-back a bicampeonato, like to lift the trophy twice in successive seasons, and after one bad season, you push him aside. When you look at it on paper, that's a terrible thing to do. It looks ungrateful from the ownership group. But the reports are that this is a mutual decision because Diego Coca actually has something lined up in Europe. So hopefully that is the case, because if not, it's a head-scratcher. If not, I don't understand it at all. You're talking about a guy that's giving, a person that's given Atlas and that amazing fan, fan base of Atlas the only glimmer of hope or light at the end of that tunnel in 70 years. He brought him to the promise on a team that was dead to rights dead in the water, had no business even being in Liga MX's first division, brought him back to the promised land, and now this happens. So I'm hoping those reports of it being mutual and him having suitors in Europe is true. Yeah, that's the only way that this isn't like a huge disrespect, right? Because we talked about it around Campeones Cup, and we said, well, what's the value of Campeones Cup? Maybe to New York City, uh, it could kind of relaunch their playoff quest. For Atlas, it could save their their season, but it wasn't going to save their manager. You know, you win two titles after 70 years, you build up a lot of goodwill. You would oh. not expect this guy uh, to be fired. So hopefully, as you say, it is an opportunity in Europe that everybody says, hey, this is what's, what's best for him. I'm surprised that he's going to go to Europe. I'm surprised there's not like a ton of demand for him in Mexico, given the success of Atlas. I'm surprised there's not interest in him maybe in Major League Soccer. And I'm curious to hear what you think, because this was mentioned on the, on the broadcast the other night on Saturday. Diego Coca is a potential Mexican national team manager down the road. What say you? You're surprised he went to Europe over Mexico and Liga Mekis? No, sorry, I'm surprised MLS? that he's leaving Liga Mekis, because I would have thought that a, a guy who had the success at Atlas that he had would have had teams all around Mexico and MLS knocking down his door with opportunities. Yeah. We don't know what this European opportunity but, is, obviously. Exactly, yeah. and, and it's... Uh, it's about ambition, right? Trusting yourself. We've seen Mexican managers or, or coaches who have managed in Mexico, um, Mohamed, Caudet, uh, Almiron, who have found their way to Europe from unsuccessful Mexican stints. And now this is a manager who was successful in Mexico who could potentially find himself in a very big European situation. I, I'm not surprised at all. I actually think... Uh, if it is true, it's one of these, like, listen, everyone to their own way. I thank you. You thank me type of deal. I've given you two championships. There's not much more I can do here. I'm going to go look for a new adventure, a new challenge. And hopefully that is the case, because if not, I'm, I'm with you. It would be very surprising to me if not. All right. So Atlas, they will not be in the playoffs. But you know who will? Rayados and Pachuca. They will also meet on ESPN+. Plus. 
and ESPN Deportes. Saturday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coverage start. Don't miss it. Uh, Liga MX. The final matches of the regular season ahead of Liga. Look, look, J.I.D. back in the city with it. Jitty done been all across the globe. They say Jitty scribbler, he's silly with it when he spit it. I hope he don't sell his soul. He should be good. Smith. We can't play it in. It falls in the middle. There's the equalizer. San Diego is the first ever expansion team to make the postseason in their inaugural season. Huge weekend across the National Women's Soccer League. Portland beating Chicago, who dropped below the playoff line as a result. The Thorns, top of the table. Morgan Weaver with a brace. Sophia Smith with an assist. Uh, as Portland rolls their 10th win of the season out top of the table, uh, one point ahead of OL Reign. What about the San Diego Wave? You heard they clinched that playoff spot, did so thanks to a 2-2 draw against Orlando on Sunday and a come-from-behind 2-2 draw uh, down to nothing. But the Wave surging back to get the point there. On Saturday, huge, huge, massive victory for the North Carolina Courage as they beat uh, Gotham. The Dabinia Show, we'll call it. North Carolina Courage rolling. That's now back-to-back. Three-nothing wins for the Courage, who, uh, as of this moment, occupy the sixth and final playoff spot. And on Sunday, Angel City, huge chance for them at home against Racing Louisville. Could not get the job done. Angel City uh, falling by a score of 3-1. to one. And that defeat uh, right now leaves Angel City on the outside looking in when it comes to the postseason in the National Women's Soccer League. Again, as they fall 3-1 to Racing Louisville. You know what the rules are. Top six make the playoffs. Everybody else uh, goes home. All right, so we're down to the nitty-gritty, and to help us uh, sort it all out, we call on our good friend Jeff Kasuf. Jeff, great to have you back here with us on Football Americas. You know, Herc, he's not even quiet about it. He's a huge Angel City fan. I got to go to the game the other day, so maybe I'm starting to get swept up in the Angel City fever. But when we look at the table, Jeff, right now, they are in eighth place, very much on the outside looking in. So give us the rundown on their chances. What has to happen for Angel City to get into the postseason here? Yeah, it's a huge opportunity lost with the loss to Louisville at home. I, I think a really disappointing result, obviously. Angel City goes into that game really controlling their own destiny, a win there. They're in a playoff position heading into the final week. And, you know, that's uh, a loss to a Louisville team that has struggled, is obviously out of the playoff picture. And now Angel City has to go on the road, beat Chicago. But honestly, that's the only game that Sunday. For some reason, NWSL does not do a decision day. They don't have simultaneous kickoffs. So by the time we actually get to that game, those two teams, that are theoretically in sort of a play-in game, uh, that game might be useless. It, it might be a game where both of those teams are already out, unfortunately. So uh, Angel City went from controlling their own destiny on that sixth and final playoff spot to, to needing some help now. Okay, Jeff, let's say Angel City does miss the playoffs in this inaugural season. How do we judge Angel City's season? Uh, with all the hype, would it be judged a success or a failure for not making the playoffs? 
you know, I don't think it's a failure if they don't make the playoffs. If you look at this team, uh, you look at how they performed in the Challenge Cup in preseason, and I think, uh, you know, really struggled, probably didn't have super high expectations on the field. Obviously, everything they did off the field, with which both of you have seen and been a part of, has been amazing, and obviously a lot of hype around that. So, you know, I, I think that you look at this, and if you looked at this preseason and said Angel City, sixth, seventh, eighth, that sounds about right from preseason. I think when you look at these rosters across the board, so um, certainly you'd be disappointed if you're Angel City to miss the playoffs, especially the way that they might do that with having that chance so late in the season. But, um, you know, I, I think the expectation was try to get into the playoffs, right? And and they've given themselves a chance on the final weekend. I think you look at the roster, you look at rosters across the league, and you look at how the season has played out. I think you've got to be happy with that as a whole, uh, even in the disappointment of maybe missing out. Speaking of expansion teams, Jeff, San Diego Wave, of course, uh, clinched their playoff spot uh, over the weekend. Alex Morgan having a great season as well. I wonder what you see from them in terms of realistic, not just shield chances, but also like title chances once we get to the playoffs. Are they, are they real contenders for you, San Diego? They are, yeah. And I think the big question here now is going to be form and health because Alex Morgan was a scratch from that weekend game in Orlando. Head coach Casey Stoney said they just wanted to keep her uh, healthy and, and not push her. Abby Dahlkemper came with what looked like I don't want to speculate. She was grabbing the back of her leg, but afterward, Casey Sony said it looks like it could be serious. And then Taylor Corniak at the very end of that game, rolling her ankle pretty nastily. So um, three major questions there on an injury front. And I think that will be the difference per perhaps between is San Diego playing for a championship on October 29th or are they are they out early in this playoff picture? Because I think, I mean, they spent 13 weeks at the top of the table as an expansion team. This is a team that is for real. They have the right talent. They have the right coaching. And now it's about, are you peaking at the right time? Do you have everybody healthy? And, and there are some question marks in those departments right now. I will add, by the way, before we go on to the next one, uh, in Angel City's defense, no Kristen Press, which is a huge blow. Yeah. Uh, all right, top two teams, teams that do have some star power right there, top two teams, O.L. Reign and the Portland Thorns. Uh, mm -hmm. Who's your favorite for the Shield? It's got to be Portland. I mean, Thorns go into the weekend a point ahead, and I think you look at th – this is not a league that is often logical, but you look at these final weekend matchups. The Thorns, a team that have really done well wire-to-wire -wire here. Uh, they're at Gotham, a team that has lost a league record 12 straight. They haven't scored a goal in five games. Obviously, that makes them a bit dangerous. Obviously, you know, a team that wants to, to get off of that schneid before they have to go into a long offseason. But, you know, you look at form, you look at these teams, and, and Portland being at Gotham versus uh, with the one-point advantage over the rain, I think you have to say, you know, everything's in Portland's hands right now for that shield. All right, there he is, Jeff Kasu. Find his work over at ESPN.com. Jeff, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Thanks, for, as always, for answering the call. Yeah, thanks for having me. There he is. Uh, great stuff from Jeff, uh, always the expert on the National Women's Soccer League and all things uh, women's soccer joining us here on Football Americas. Herc, in case you missed it, I, I don't know, there's something going around the league. Uh, Bianca St. George now the second player uh, to see red here for not one, but a a double bird aimed at the referees. Uh, oh, okay. Look, the first time I was for it, get some color in the league, this is getting out of hand. Like, mm. like at some point, there's got to be heavy sanctions. There's got to be heavy suspensions coming down because it. if you're the league, you got to start thinking about sponsors that are going to be pulling out when this stuff is going about.
Yep, uh, we saw Amber Brooks of the Washington Spirit uh, got her punishment from the NWSL. Interesting to see uh, what comes down here. But clearly, Herc, one thing that we are picking up on uh, is that the players are frustrated with officiating across the league, and it's uh, showing itself. Always defending the players. I mean, you know it. You know it here <laughs> on Football America. So come on, we're nothing if not uh, pro player. U.S. Women's National Team taking on Spain Tuesday, October 11th. Coverage starts at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2. Should be quite the test for the U.S. against a very, very talented Spanish squad, although a squad very much right now uh, in serious turmoil. All right, that's it for this edition of Football Americas. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. We will be back our usual time on Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. the Ron Burgundy Pacific. Uh, we will be covering all that happens in the international break, both U.S. and Mexico in action on Tuesday. So do not miss Thursday's show here on ESPN+. Plus. Yeah.